If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Michelle O'Neill. Michelle thrives on being an all-round horsewoman. She commenced her riding career doing stockwork on the family farm and then progressed to Pony Club. And while she was at Pony Club, Michelle participated in anything she could before she specialised, started specialising in dressage. But then after a few years of dressage competition, she changed tack and started barrel racing and has had some success. And also a highlight would be winning the Australian Open at Equitana in 2016 on a horse she bred and trained herself. Michelle dedicates much of her time to teaching and running clinics. She provides assistance with daily horse care, competitive riding, with a strong emphasis on horsemanship when the lessons in clinics emphasising control, confidence and consistency. So along with the horsemanship clinics, Michelle also runs clinics on the trail at a beautiful home where she can get people to learn how to go safely, have fun with their horses along the way from the arena and have the chance to train their horses in a new and interesting environment. That's a bit of a mouthful, Michelle. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Glenis, yourself. Good, good. Now, Michelle, you know I'm going to start you off with a favourite quote, and I'm sure you've got a good one for us. And and it's a very old one for me, too. Mm-hmm. It's We love quotes around here. There's quotes everywhere. Um, but my dad, when I was a little kid, he, he said to me one day, you only get out what you put in, and um, I've never forgotten that. He was talking to me one day about my horses and, yep. and he was probably yep. motivating me to do a little more. Yes. Um, so, yeah, he, he told me that and it's something I always remember. You know, any time I'm, I'm working on a young horse or, or, or even at a clinic, you know, if, if at the end of the day I'm doing a clinic, I'm not exhausted, I know I haven't done my best. So, yep. you know, that reflects in my students. So yeah. I always like yeah. to, to put in 100% if I can. It's nice to let your students know too, just to remind them that, you know, horses aren't automatic. It is about oh. a two-way a team and a two-way conversation. Oh, definitely. And, and you know, like we sometimes we get so wrapped up in where we're at and what's going on in our life and we forget that we're dealing with a living, breathing animal that has, has feelings and emotions and, and they have bad days as well. Um, I have a friend, he's a sports psychologist, and, and he's just horrified at what horse riders do because... At the end of that, he says, it's not just you. He said, you're dealing with your brain and everything that's going on with you. He said, but you're dealing with an animal as well. And, and even though you've trained animals, so there's still things going on with them. And, and um, you have to remember that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we've talked about how you've already, how you started riding, you know, stock work on the family farm. But tell us about one of your early memories. You know, something, an incident that may have happened with your horses something along those lines? Uh, this is a series of things that happened, Glenis, and, yeah. and my, my parents will, will laugh. I was a terrible rider as a child. Um, I'm sure anybody who went to Pony Club with me would happily vouch for that. <laughs> I fell off so often. I actually lost count as a little kid. I lost count of how many times I broke my arm. Oh, wow. I would fall, <laughs> yeah, 
giraffe, mm. my pony, put my arm out and green stick my arm every single time. Um, so, you know, my dad was a bit of a backyard racehorse trainer. He used horses on the farm. So, But they bought me very quiet horses. Please don't think I had bad horses. I yeah. was just a really bad rider. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I'm just trying to think. Was it in the same place all the time or different no. arms? Or Wow, wow. <laughs> Generally my left arm, yeah. yeah gee. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, yeah, just, just terrible. Just didn't comprehend how to fall off and, and you know, just little tiny things. And, and I had really bad balance. I have a younger brother. He has amazing balance. As children, if you're going to pick one of us to be the horse rider, they always said you'd pick my brother because he had this beautiful balance. I had shocking balance. <laughs> <laughs> just, and, and my horse would step sideways and I'd fall off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. All right. Now we know about, you know, how you started off doing dressage and then sort of went on to yeah. barrel racing. But to do with working with horses, you know, having a career in horses, because you're saying that you're a terrible rider. It's not like you're a brilliant rider and everyone said, oh, wow, you should be a professional rider. How did it work out that you ended up working with horses then? What was the pathway there? I think I think I was like a lot of kids, Glennis. I was, you know, horse mad, a lot of girls, you know, horse mad, yeah. you know, and, and obsessed by horses. And, and honestly, I will, I will tell you, I think when I was in, I had to go away to boarding school in years 11 and 12. And my parents were very generous and enabled me to pick which boarding school I would like to go to. And I had three prerequisites for boarding school. It had to be co-educational, it had to be agricultural, and I had to be able to take my horse. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> that's, that's fair yeah. enough. I'd be picking those three as well. <laughs> my, my parents have been very good to me. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I did. I, I went to a school and I took my horse. But, you know, honestly, in year 12, I didn't take my horse back because I focused on my HSC. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to uni. And, and I, all the way through, I wanted to go and get a career with horses. And my dad, as I said, had worked in the racehorse industry. And he was like, no, you are not going to go and clean stalls. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, please. But, mm. you know, my parents, and, I, and honestly, I'm probably um, just wasn't destined. If you if you had known me then as a rider, you would go, there's no way this girl can make a living out of horses. Mm-hmm. And so they encouraged me very wisely to go off and do other things. I went and got a business degree. I worked in other industries. You know, I worked for companies that had were managing $8 million in assets. You know, did all sorts of things like that. But I kept in contact. I always had horses. Even at uni, I had a horse with me. You know, I competed, a little bit of low-level dressage, trained. And I think the benefit of that was it helped me really become quite open-minded and have a pretty well-rounded view of the business sense of the horse world. Yes. So then in 2010, and I could just see a lot of stuff happening that I really didn't like, you know, people being treated badly, horses being treated badly, people buying the wrong horses. And so I just sort of dipped my toe in the water and and started my business, Cherry Tree Equine, and and ran a few clinics. And um, I can safely tell you the first time I ever ran a clinic, I wished the ground would open me up and swallow me. Um, So... I just started like that and I was working part-time and then progressively I was able to actually work less for other people. And at that stage, I was taking in a lot of outside horses and retraining horses mm-hmm. and we just grew it from there. So, yeah, I am quite sure, as I said earlier, if anybody who knew me at Pony Club, they would tell you that there is no way I would ever been able to make a living at horses. It just goes to show if you work hard enough at it, you really can achieve it. Yes, yes, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'm just thinking, uh, you know, it, like you must add something though because even though you're saying, you know, you're a terrible rider and you're no good with horses and your balance was no good and you had too many broken arms, 
You must have had something. What do you think are the core skills or character traits someone needs to work in the horse industry? You know, taking skill away because everyone starts with no skill. You know, some people are going to have more natural skill than others, but um, a lot of a lot of good riders will say, I was just persistent. I just kept going, you know. What do they need? Is it the persistence or what do they need to work in the horse industry? I think I think to work in the horse industry, and in particular, Glenn, to be successful in that horse industry, you have to have that, that fire in your belly. It mm-hmm. has to be that thing that you really want. You know, we talk a lot about how people need resilience to survive in the horse industry, and that is so true. But you can be resilient as anything, and if you don't have that little bit of gravel in your, in your guts that says, you know, when things are going to get bad, I'm going to keep going, you, you get nowhere. And, and I was a bit like that. Um, I think something that probably has, has helped me a lot is that I, uh, I have uh, problem-solving skills are pretty, like, you know, I like to solve problems. And so when yep. I walk into a clinic, you know, I look at the problems that are in front of me, or I get on a horse. Mm-hmm. I feel for what's going on and I start to work out the ways I can solve those problems and, and it might not be in a particular set order. So I think that's probably a really good thing that people need to have. I think too, I think those good communication skills and the ability to network with people. I have had so many doors open to me by some amazing people because I have created really good networks and I think in part that comes from humility I see a lot of people in the horse industry who lack humility um, and I think they shut doors to them. And, and it's not just in the horse industry, it's, it's everywhere. I think if you go with an open mind and a humble attitude, you will learn from everybody. And I think that has probably been the, the key things that have really helped me. Um, and I'll give you a bit of a funny example about that. I, When I was teaching for TAFE, doing horse industry courses, I had a student here and I was complaining that I couldn't work out where to hang my broom. And she took one look and she went, why don't you hang a piece of wire off that wall and hang your broom up there? And I went, oh, that's really simple and really smart. And I did it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I was the teacher, she was a student. She had a really good idea. Yes. I was happy to take that on board. Yep. You know, yep. And I think that open-mindedness, and I think too, like, you know, as you said, I'd, because I'd, I'd done a little bit of low-level dressage and, and then got interested in the Western sort of events more. I came with a different mindset to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't care what type of saddle you're riding. I care that you're interested in horsemanship. That's why I have had lessons with people from so many different disciplines, and I think that's helped me a lot. Okay, okay, good. What do you think's the best thing? I mean, you've obviously you made choices to come away from the business and you're saying you were going in to solve some problems, but what's the best thing about working in the horse industry? You're in it day in, day out. You know, think about what you enjoy. Oh, look, I've met so many amazing people. And by amazing people, I don't mean the people that you might naturally think of who have been amazingly successful. I mean... Just the people who turn up my clinics, like some of the stuff they do and the things they can tell you about and what goes on in their non-horsey life, I love hearing about a lot of that. It mm. is really interesting. It's opened a lot of doors for me and, and you know, it's, I think the thing with the horse industry is we're so lucky because most of the people that, say, for example, I work with, they're part of the horse industry because they love it, because it's... The thing that makes them smile when they get up in the morning, they may all have full-time jobs and families and, and be really busy, but when it comes to spending time with their horse, 
that's what they enjoy the most. Yep. And to be part of that is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know that because I work a lot with I don't work a lot with top level competitors. I'm working with people who are learning a lot and and who are in the industry for the enjoyment. And yeah, I get to see something really different in that. And I really enjoy it. Good. Good. Tell us about, because you said that you've worked with quite a few different people, anyone in particular that you've thought has been really pivotal in changing direction or changing something within your career? Obviously, my family have always been a fantastic support to me um, and they've put up with me. But um, there is two people. There is two people that I just would not be where I am today without them. The first one who came into my life was Adele Edwards. Mm -hmm. And we were actually laughing about this just recently. I actually went to her house to learn how to breakaway rope. She will happily tell you, and I will too, I am the world's worst breakaway roper. (laughs) But until I met Adele, until I went to her house every Thursday afternoon and basically exercised her rope horse for her, I didn't know what it was to be a horsewoman. I just... Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I, I, I just sort of sailed along, like a lot of people do. I sailed along in this little bubble and thought I was doing a really good job. And then I started to look at what she was doing with the horses. And I just went, wow, there's a whole nother level that, that I'm not aware of. And she has been amazing to me ever since. So, And the other person um, is Ian Francis. I uh, attended an Ian Francis clinic, oh, it'd probably be about seven years ago now, and and the humility of the man, the knowledge of the man, he's just amazing. He doesn't care who you are. He treats everybody with respect and dignity. And he is an amazing horseman. And the feel that man has for a horse is like I'm in awe of it. And But I've been really lucky in that he hasn't only helped me with my horsemanship and and he has helped me with my horsemanship. Yep. Again, he sort of took me to that next level. Yep. And he's been amazing. But he's helped me a lot in the horse industry as a competitor and as an instructor and a bit of a when we released the please can I have a pony DVD I had to pick Ian up from a clinic down at Delegate and Mm -hmm. it's a long way from Delegate to Cooma in the car as I found out because when I picked him up the people like he was staying with they said oh we hear you're releasing your DVD and I hung my head between my knees and said, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, we're doing it. And, you know, uh, anyway, Ian didn't say anything. <laughs> and we got, and Ian had seen the DVD. Yep. And yep. we got in the car and he gave me the rounds of the car the whole way. <laughs> and he said, you know, you've done a great job. You should be proud of yourself, you know, stand up, stand tall, you know. And, and he taught me, he taught me what it is to be a good representative of our industry. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah to, to think to think beyond myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very lucky to have him still helping I think, me. I think sometimes, you know, within our industry, we're such a passionate lot that if anyone does anything just that little bit different, everyone's ready to jump on board and say, oh, that was no good, or, you know, not that they're doing it any better, but, but it's very much, you know, like you're not going to do it perfect. And as long as you realise that you're not going to do it perfect, but you are going to help people. That's the attitude you've got to have. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter that it's not perfect. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, that, that is exactly right. And you need people like Ian to actually to, to, to help you on your way and, and to let you know that, you know, you, you are doing okay. Um, mm-hmm. I, rang, I think I probably rang him, you know, when I did my first clinic and a few other things, like any time like that. And he'll often just set me straight or, 
you know, like that's that little bit of guiding, guiding light and something else that happened. We, I was, um, it was just after we released the DVD and oh, there was an incident and some stuff was said about me and, and it was nothing to do with the DVD. It was completely unrelated, but mm. I rang Ian cause I didn't know what to do. I was really upset and, and he, um, he said two things to me. He said, there's no road without a turn, you know, and, and then he sort of said, went on to say, you know, look, you know, this will pass. Yep. And and that was all I needed. Yes. You know, it was that, yes. that guiding light to say, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And as I said before, you're always going to get that little bit of flack. You know, no one does it. And the thing is that you're not going to learn everything from one person. You're going to be get bits and pieces of the things and you don't have to learn everything from that person you just have to learn the bits that are relevant to you and if you take that away I think that's really good yeah it's a bit like that thing when people walk up to you at um they're not not generally at clinics but sometimes we will be at other events and people will walk up to me and say um whose method do you follow and for a long time I'd sort of look at the ground shuffle my feet and mumble something and I've learnt now my partner Warren Schofield he uh, he chipped me one day when I did it in front of him and he said you t- you say you follow the Michelle O'Neill method yes and because that, yes it's exactly what you said Glennis I've mm. taken bits from so many people yep. you know um yep. Guy McLean Clinton Anderson mm-hmm. um There'd be a hundred other people I could think of. Mm, but, mm. Um, you know, like I've taken all those little bits from those guys and adapted what works for me and thought up some myself. And, yeah, and you have to you have to put your hand up sometimes and go, actually, you know what, it's me. You yeah. know, and, yep. and you're right, you will cop some flack. Yeah. But, and, and it's hard, I think, especially for young people. I think as we get older, mm. we can take that, you know. But, yeah, when you're young especially, that can be really tough. Mm-hmm. Mm. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Tell us about horses. Who's your favourite horse? What's the one that's influenced you the most, do you think? Oh, I have two favourite horses. Yep. Um, and they were related. That well, They were related to each other. The first I've had lots of amazing horses, of course, but my first horse was a horse called Chuck and I bought him off some friends and he was bred exactly how I wanted and and this and that. But what I didn't realise is when I bought him off them, they actually had bets on how long it would be before he killed me. Um, And (laughs) we're still friends, it's okay. But they actually had really good reason to be concerned because I was a fairly timid sort of a not timid rider, but not a great confident rider. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this horse he he changed my life because Rob Lawson was actually running a horsemanship clinic in Cooma, and a girlfriend of mine was organising it, and I said, "Oh, okay, I'll come along." And it had a groundwork component, and I made the rookie mistake of turning up to a groundwork clinic in a flat halter and a you know typical short lead, <laughs> and Rob Lawson nearly killed me. But we've become great friends. But, you know, like, I just didn't know. And and this horse, he was so reactive, so sensitive, that if you trotted a figure of eight and changed your inside leg pressure as you changed direction, this horse would leap through the air. (laughs) He was so fried. Um, My friends hadn't had him for very long, I must add that. Mm -hmm. They didn't fry him. So, and Rob just showed me. He just went, this is not working. Look at what you're doing. And I'm still riding very... 
sort of was sort of just in my transition from uh, from English still really. Yep. And so you know, Rob stepped me through, and and Rob Rob was the first person who taught me about groundwork, and I just went wow. And if I hadn't had that horse, and that horse went on to be an amazing horse, he was ranked twelfth in the country the day he actually was in the paddock and he broke his leg. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, yeah. So we we got him back. We we did a lot of work, but he never came back to competition. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I'm eternally grateful to Chuck. We only just put him down last winter, actually. And um, my other horse is, is Squiggles, who you touched on earlier in the introduction. Um, Squiggles is he's homebred. He is actually by Adele Edwards' stallion, who's now passed. And that horse, he's just everything that you could ever hope for. But he's not an easy horse. He looks like he looks very quiet and very easy, but he's been a lot of work and he's pretty, he's a beautiful soul and, and he's like an old man, but he's actually currently out with injuries. So he's been teaching me a lot about how to get one back. <laughs> That's the one that you won the Australian Open on, isn't it? Yeah. Squiggles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. he's only eight years old. So mm-hmm. we're, um, we're hoping he'll be back, but um, yeah, he's a, he makes me smile every time I go to the horse yards. That horse. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's one of those. Good. Mm. Good. What's your proudest moment, Michelle, with horses? Oh, look, I, I love watching my students improve. Okay. And you notice I have a student um, who I was uh, giving a hard time the other day. She comes to some of my clinics. She um, First time she came to a clinic, she was chain smoking. She was so nervous. She was shaking like a leaf. She was nearly throwing up. Uh, she was like, and you know what? She's giving up smokes. She's riding on her own. She is just loving her horse riding journey. Yep. She's having an absolute ball. But, I mean, so I love that side. But, obviously, as far as horses, I mean, if, like Prasma, actually for one of my horses, it would definitely be the success I've had with Squiggles. Um, yes. Anyone who was at Equitana, and I've co- I copped a lot of positive feedback about this, like that horse ran his heart out at Equitana. Mm. Actually, he walked into the arena calmly until I asked him to go. <laughs> and then when he finished, I dropped the rein and walked out on loose rein with one hand on the reins, rubbing him on the bum. You know, mm. that is a horse that had just run his absolute heart out. And you know what? That just, I think probably the win was amazing, but to have so many people notice yes. how calmly he was, and, and I know that's because of the work he's had and what I've done with him. And, you know, so, that, yeah, that was super proud. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just going back, you know, you're talking about your student improving and the amount that they've made improvements with their horsemanship and their riding, but it really is a personal journey, isn't it? You know, like horses have got nothing to do with her giving up smoking. That's to do with the personal journey that she's been on that horses have helped her through. Definitely, definitely. And, yeah, and you see that a lot with people, you know, that the horses are so much a part of who they become. And like you say, it's that I I would have no doubt that that – she would not have given up smoking if it wasn't for the confidence and the the enjoyment stuff that she's getting from her horses. Yep. It's that, like, it's a very personal thing. I'm not saying everyone who gives up smoking should. But, um, yeah, they can play parts and roles in our life outside of just being the animal we swing, swing a leg over. Yeah, yeah. What do you think has been your biggest challenge in apart your, in your whole journey? Apart from fall off. Yeah, yeah <laughs> apart from getting your... Yeah, getting over your broken arms and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Honestly, Glennis, it's been confidence. Has it? it, it it's yeah. been confidence. It has been, you know, I walk into even now, and, and I know this is probably not the sort of thing that you, you're probably ready to say, but I will walk into a clinic now 
And like people of school have come for a two-day clinic and I'll walk in that first morning and look at all these people and I'll think, why have these people come to listen to me? You know, it's that thing. And, and there's a little bit about what you were saying before too about, you know, you, you, you do often get shot down. You know, you, um, Ian has a saying, you don't get anywhere if, if you don't stick your neck out. So, you know, you sort of, yeah, you, they still sometimes walk in and go, and, and then, of course, I start and, and, you know, I can do all this stuff with these people and everyone goes away really, really happy and, mm. and that's what mm. you want. Yep. But, yeah, I think it is. I think that confidence thing is, is an issue um, and maybe that is, like, it's a good thing too. It probably keeps me a little humble. Yep. Yeah, yep. It, it makes sure that I, I do do my best. Yes. But, yeah, but confidence is... My friend, the sports psychologist I was talking about before, you know, he says, you know, if you're, if you're talking about competition, he says, if you're not nervous before you run, he said, you don't care. Mm. And mm. and I think, I think too, as horse riders, there's a lot of talk, as you would know, there's there's a lot of talk about being nervous and nervous riders and, and lots of women returning to riding after family and things and, and what they have to go through. And I think we need to possibly embrace that a little more. Yep. Yep. And go, you know, this is okay. We can we can deal with this. Is that the advice you give to someone? You know, someone else that's in your position that might be out there teaching people or, you know, they've got a lot of knowledge but they're not confident to go and do it. What what would you say to them? What advice would you give them? Oh, just just have a crack. Mm-hmm. Start small. You know, yep. like I know he's not the, the most favoured person in Australia, but you've only got to look at Clinton Anderson's story. You know, when he he always wanted to be a clinician, um, yep. a little bit different. But, but you know, when he went to the States, he would fly halfway across the country to deliver a clinic to two people yeah. and lose money on it. Yep. And he just stuck at it because that was what he, that was all he ever wanted to be. Yep. So, you know, sometimes you have to do that, you know, yeah, but, you know, you don't know if you don't try. Yes, yes. And you know what, you've got a lot of time sitting in your rocking chair when you're older to look back and go, oh, <laughs> if only I'd done this. <laughs> you know, the door isn't going to open for you. You have yeah. to walk yeah. up there and open it and have a go. Okay. And if it doesn't work, learn from it. Yes. You know, either learn from it and go, how can I do this better? Or maybe, you know, not everybody is suited to teaching. You know, maybe there's another niche for you somewhere in the industry that's just as important. Mm-hmm. When you do go out and teach, what's a common problem that you see that, you know, it might be a group of people that you haven't seen before. What's a common thing that you see across the board that you can help people with? Because I'm thinking for our listeners, because they want to learn too. You know, they listen. There's education in, in interviews and in the podcast and listening to different people. What can you teach them? Look, the thing that I see most at, at clinics mm-hmm. People not being the leaders they need to be for their horses. And by that, I'm, I'm not talking about anything earth-shattering. What I'm talking about is when you're standing there and, you know, you're just standing beside your horse, don't let him walk over the top of you because that's where it starts. So, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing I see at clinics is where boundaries haven't been established and, and I use an analogy with people all the time, you know, especially, you know, I get a lot of mothers and things to my clinics. And I say, you know, would you let your kids do that? And mostly they go, no. <laughs> and you, say, you go, you know, well, you know, if you wouldn't let your kids draw on the walls, pull all the food out of the fridge and stomp it all over the floor, you know, get up and, and come and go from the house any time that, you know, they wanted, 
why would you let your horse behave in that sort of a way? So it is a little about just starting with some basic boundaries. And if people can establish those boundaries, they're going to find that that relates to every aspect of dealing with the horse. I see a lot of people who, you know, you know, and it's that thing when people come to clinics, they will say, oh, my horse does this. My horse does that. <laughs> yep, yep. And, you know, if your horse is doing that, there's obviously something going on that you're doing. And it often starts with that simple thing of even, you know, going to catch your horse in the yard, like get him to face you. If I ran into you down the street, Glennis, and I was talking to you and you turned your back and walked away from me, yeah, I'd kind of go, oh, obviously I've upset her. She doesn't want to talk to me. Mm. So why do people think that's okay with the horse when they're trying to establish a communication, obviously non-verbal, yep. they're trying to establish a communication stream with their horse and they let it turn around and walk away. Yes. So, yeah, it's yeah. the little things that matter. Yep, yep. And, and, and as for riding, like if you get away from the groundwork, the, the biggest thing I see at, at clinics is people having not developed enough feel to be soft to their horses. They get into the tug-of-war situation where when stuff goes wrong, the first thing they do is pull back on two reins. And, of course, if your horse is broke and, and educated and has been trained in all of this, then that's okay. But if you're riding a young horse or you're a young or inexperienced rider and you do that, then obviously as soon as you pull back and grab hold of the reins, that horse, that horse's head and neck weighs more than most of the girls that ride them. So straight away you end up with a, a tug-of-war situation and the horse becomes concerned and you've got issues. Yeah. All right. Now, thinking about books, have you got a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners, something that's going to complement their training? This might surprise some people when you think about the industry I'm in now, but a book that I actually really enjoy is Jane Savoy's book, It's Not Just About the Ribbons. Yes, actually, that's a good good one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that applies to you, whether you're a trail rider or a, you know, a bower racer or a dressage rider, I think it's a book that applies to so many people. If you ask me the book that permanently sits by my bedside, it's Ian Francis's little book of quotes called That Winning Attitude. And it's just a little book full of quotes. And um, if you're having a bad day, it's not a bad one to sit down and have a flick through. And if you're having a good day, it's also a good one to sit down and have a flick through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're two books that, yeah. that I'm very fond of. Good, good. And while we're here, we should talk about your DVD as well, Please Can I Have a Pony? I mean, how yeah, often is that one. question asked? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I could probably get you one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, we um, we did the DVD, Please Can Have a Pony, in conjunction with Horsewise magazine. Yep. Yeah, the kids' magazine in Australia. Yep. And it was basically released as a result of just seeing so many people buy the wrong horse mm-hmm. and so many people having their dreams shattered because the horse that they purchased just wasn't quite suitable for what they want. And and a lot of that comes back to um, people letting emotion rule when they go and look at horses. And as you and I have been saying, you know, it's horses that there's, there's so much emotion involved with horses because they're the thing that we love and, and we're so passionate about them. And, you know, it's, it's all nice to go and want that beautiful Palomino horse with the four white socks, you know, but if you're just learning to ride, you might be better with an old bay horse that just pokes along. Yeah. 
Yep. So yeah, so it has some basic care mm-hmm. parts to it as well, and, and for people who are getting their first horse, but it is aimed at anybody buying a horse. It just steps through hints and tips how to actually take some of the emotion out of it and to buy a horse that is going to last you as long as you want. And you know that that I'll say, you know, buying the horse is the cheapest part is so true. But <laughs> yes. When you buy, and I know someone like they have bought four or five horses that I am aware of that that have not suited and they've either sent them back or sold them on. And that's sad. It's sad for the horse too. Mm, mm. I, I don't like to see horses be put through that. And and also too, not good for the industry because, you know, there's a lot of people who are keen, enthusiastic, would like to give it a go, you know, and then they meet with a horse that's not suitable for them and, you know, they have a fall or they, you know, fall off and break their arm more times than what they can remember. Or, I don't know. <laughs> but it leaves them with they lack that confidence then and then they don't stick with it because they haven't really found a suitable horse that they can get out and have those hours and hours and hours of enjoyment mm, yeah. and they're not sort of getting anything back. That That is exactly right, Glenis. And they sort of go one of two ways when that happens. They either battle on and they don't enjoy it and, you know, or they leave the industry. Mm. And that, you know, Australia is, when you compare us to other parts of the world, you know, the horse market in Australia or the horse industry in Australia is very small. So when someone leaves the industry because they've bought the wrong horse or have been sold the wrong horse, that's a loss to everybody. And, and you know, the thing is, it doesn't matter whether you're me or you or, or the person who just goes for a trail ride every second Sunday. If there's less people in the industry, there's less choice for all of us mm. um, and there's less opportunity for all of us. So, you know, it's about maintaining an industry that is also thought of by the rest of the country in a positive light. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, if you have someone who's bought a wrong horse and they run around and tell 10 of their friends how they got rorted and and how all this bad stuff has happened to them, if those 10 people are parents, Mm. are they going to encourage their children to get into horses? No. 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 They may get them to do something else. Mm. Mm. Michelle, what are you looking forward to now? You've got your horse that you, you know, he's he's off at the moment, Squiggles. What plans have you got for him and what other plans do you have? So Squiggles is undergoing rehab at the moment and he will be out until the end of the year. So we're hoping that he will return to competition at the end of the year. In the meantime, I've got some really nice young horses to uh, play around with um, yep. and I've got a couple of three-year-olds that are riding and um, I've got a whole heap of foals and weanlings and stuff that I'll start working with when we finish competition in the next couple of weeks. I've just been competing at another young horse just poking around on him. But, yeah, and then I've got heaps of clinics coming up. I seem to be travelling over the whole southern half of New South Wales in the next month or so, which I'm really looking forward to because I'm going to some new places. Um, so I'll get to see some new people and um, some new horses and, and that'll be fun. So, yeah, just just poking along and staying warm over winter. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> All right. Now, Michelle, can you summarise your philosophy with horses into a message for our listeners? Um, we sort of touched on some of it before, you know, mm. talking about you know, every time you everything you do with your horse is training it, good or bad. Yep. So, you know, every time you walk into the yard or the paddock, whether you like it or not, you are, are training your horse and talking about quotes 
before, you know, Ian Francis has a little story and he tells and it basically comes back to your horses go how you ride them. And and that is, is so true. So, you know, if if you're having a bad relationship with your horse, go back and have a look at what you're doing and break it down and and see is you know, is are you just like, you know, thinking that you're doing a great job when you're on their back, but when you're on the ground is everything wrong? So, you know, or wrong for that horse. So, you yep. know, go back and, and look at it. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, just every time you go near your horse, you are training it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then, Michelle, how can people contact you? So, um, we have a Cherry Tree Equine has a website and a Facebook page. Um, so, uh, you can contact me through either of those. And on both of those, we have not only lots of um, really nice photos of of our place and, and all our horses, um, but we have all our clinics that are coming up and, and where I'm off to and, and that sort of information. So, and a little bit more about, about us and, and what I do. And yeah, so um, yeah, if anyone wants to, to find out and, and check out how beauty, beautiful the northern end of the Monero actually is, there's lots of cool photos to go and see. Okay. And those details will be on um, horsechats.com slash Michelle O'Neill or go to horsechats.com Search for Michelle or search for O'Neill and that page will come up for you just in case you've missed those contact details. All right, thanks very much, Michelle, for taking your time to talk to us today. I'd love to talk to you again, particularly, you know, sort of getting in a little bit more about your philosophy and um, some of your training as well. It'd be really good. Oh, thank you, Glenis. Thanks for talking to me today. I enjoyed it. Okay, then. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 